0: This is Secret Sauce, a podcast about the secret ingredients in artwork and artwork in life. I'm your host, Becca Borelli. I'm also an illustrator in Austin, Texas, and this episode is entitled Art Baby. What does that conjure up for you? <laughs> I mean, I feel like depending where you're at in life will conjure up A whole array of thoughts around the title Art Baby. This episode is for all of you. Um, It is for parents, not parents, artists, not artists. I've said before in this podcast, and I'll say it again, if you're listening to a podcast like this, you are an artist. (laughs) So there's that. This topic is one that has been fascinating me the past year, and i want to talk about i want to talk about what realizations have emerged for me around art and babies art and birthing that have been profoundly helpful in how i navigate the creative process in my work and my life i want to talk specifically about how babies children and art making any type of creative process can be a catalyst and how that functions in your life in a way that maybe that you will probably be very aware of and may not have considered from this perspective so let's dive in shall we as many of you know i am recording podcast episodes from my one year old's bedroom these days <laughs> and <laughs> running on a really strict time frame so I feel like from now on we should just dive right in no no fancy schmancy introductions about the weather although I'll tell you what the weather in Austin is amazing amazing uh yeah I'm also trying to say uh and like a lot less after going so long without recording episodes I realize I say it so much again sorry in advance (laughs) working on it so I want to talk about I want to start with this class I took in December of last year Brayden was two months old it was called spiritual parenting uh it was there's an uh (laughs) last time I pointed out there's a big one we're getting out of the way um And in the class, there were so many fascinating things in this class that I hadn't ever really considered before. The crux of the class, however, the, the main foundational concept of the class was this. When you have children, and you don't need to have children, by the way, to appreciate this, so stick with me. When you have children, whatever things, whatever struggles that you're having currently are being triggered by things that are unhealed in you from when you were the same age as your child is at at the moment. This was revolutionary for me because when Brayden was born, and my parent friends are going to relate to this right now, but my non-parent friends stick with me because this really relates to you two in a minute. When Brayden was born, I thought I was ready for the blowback. The hormonal blowback, the sleep dep- deprivation, the mourning of my old life, like all that stuff. And all of that stuff happened and I did a pretty decent job with it, I think. But there were things that came up that I was not ready for at all, and one of them was prior to having a child, I considered myself pretty lackadaisical and like low stress when it comes to watching little humans um Even Jason will say, like when it comes to our dogs, I'm more relaxed <laughs> about. Them running too close to the road, or you know stuff like that. So I was really not ready for this paran, not paranoia. That's not the right word. For all kinds of really negative feelings and anxiety around Brayden's eating and health. Uh, I know. So, as a disclaimer, this is pretty common for all mothers, and I think it's rooted in our DNA a little bit. There's this field called epigenetics, which is the study of how our history embeds itself in our DNA. And one way that epigenetics really manifests that we can really wrap our heads around is women and breastfeeding. (laughs) So historically, if you had a baby and your breast milk didn't come in, if there wasn't someone else in the tribe that was making enough milk for your baby, your baby would probably die. And that energy is baked into women's DNA. So when women today have a baby and their milk doesn't come in, even though there's plenty of options and your baby's not going to starve, there's this visceral stress and fear around this thing. So that, so this thing happens to all women to some extent. But for me, it was beyond that. It was, first of all, I had an oversupply. I ended up pumping three times the amount of milk Brayden needed to eat and started donating it in massive amounts so there was no reason to have this anxiety I eat tremendously clean as a way to reverse some of my own autoimmune and health problems from when I was younger so he was getting this incredibly clean diet through me a lot of the feelings didn't feel connected to reality and I what and there was nothing I could do about it um this class said, here's the deal. What if your struggles right now as a parent are rooted in struggles you had when you were a newborn? And for me, y'all, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I was born in 1980. I was severely lactose intolerant. And my, my parents were young, 23, 26 years old. They were had this colicky screaming child all the time. And this was back when doctors said, Oh, sorry, that's just how babies can be sometimes. Just let her cry it out, she'll eventually grow out of it. Doctors still say that sometimes, but now we know that a lot of times colic is rooted in chronic stress on the system that babies can't vocalize a lot of the times with gut stuff. So, and my mom, my mom has told me recently she said you know you would curl your little body up and shake and squeeze your hands she's and she said looking back I should have known your stomach was just not happy Um. and I was talking about this exact thing with the woman that I get energy work done with a few months before Brayden was born and she said you know I know you don't remember that, but your subconscious remembers it. Your body remembers it. Your cells remember it. And that's traumatizing. You were going through, your body was feeling not safe and there was nothing you could do to stop it because every time you ate, it would throw you into pain and you were so little and you had no idea. All you knew is that you were in agony and there was nothing you could do about it. I never thought about it from that perspective and it made my experience with braden at 2 months old so much easier well check that it it wasn't necessarily easier to have that realization but it took a really difficult situation and removed a layer of crazy that could have been on top of it can you relate to this where you have really strong emotions this goes for women and men parents or not parents and if they're rooted in reality, and not reality, if they're rooted in something physical, in the physical world that you can sense with one of your five senses, sight, touch, et cetera, it's, it, you, you're like, yeah, this this makes sense. When it's not rooted in one of those things, it can be easy to gaslight yourself. ah, oh, I'm so weird. I'm so crazy. Like, just have some issues, I guess. You know, whatever it is you say to yourself. And so this class was really pivotal in awakening me to the ways that having a child is a catalyst for things in you that are ready to be healed, but aren't yet. And I'm curious how my experience goes as Braden gets older, because this process continues, you know, when he's seven years old, there's going to be things about my childhood when I was seven that are going to come up. And knowing this has been revolutionary. I i don't know if I'll be able to necessarily change my response to a lot of these things to come, but at the very least, I won't be gaslighting myself about it. So that was the first thing. The second thing that really left an impression on me from this class was how similar that experience is with art making. And this is where I want to rope in the folks that don't maybe have physical babies, but they make art babies all the time. And and not necessarily just like a painting baby or a ceramic baby, but like a business baby or um a house baby, whatever it is that you're creating artistically that that process happens in a very similar way and I want to tell a story about how I first began to really recognize this in my students and then myself because this kind of stuff still happens to me in spite of making art professionally for a long time and making art generally my whole life I've told this story before but I want to tell it again in the context of this topic because it's a powerful story. And it's about a man that took a course for me about four or five years ago at a small little private art school here in Austin. And it was a class called Intro to Two-Dimensional Composition. And it had been created by this art school specifically for a niche, a niche type of student. They would get these phone calls all the time from people who had never taken an art class as an adult and they're having anxiety around it like what do I take I don't necessarily want to be in a class with people that are amazing or a teacher that's like way above my skill level I'm a first timer and so this class was meant to be an introduction to seven different kinds of two-dimensional media taught by seven different teachers at the school so they could get little tastes like introductory tastes of everything in this very low stress environment and because of my background as an elementary art teacher, I I was an awesome host teacher for this class. So I would organize the seven guest teachers um, and I would be a consistent face for the students the whole seven-week class. So the night before this particular class started, I got an email from one of the students and he said, Rebecca, I'm so excited. The class is, you know, been on my radar for a while. I'm flying in to Austin kind of late and I'm going to be there late, but I wanted to let you know I'm coming. And I thought how sweet. You know, he clearly is excited. People send emails like that when they're excited. And so we we start the class the next evening. It's all women, which is pretty typical for certain kinds of classes like this at the art school. And about 15 minutes into my demo, um, the door opens and he walks in. So this this is the first class of the seven weeks. I'm the guest teacher. I'm starting them out. And immediately all of, I've told this before, immediately the entire room just sort of energy changes because this man walks in and he, for all intents and purposes, completely doesn't fit in the most interesting way. Most people that come to a little art school on a nature preserve in the evening on a weeknight tend to be, you know, pretty casual, maybe a little bit hippie, crunchy granola, artistic, have artistic bends already. This guy walked in wearing the most gorgeous white business shirt and suit and shoes, slicked like silver hair really tan like piercing blue eyes probably probably in his late 50s early 60s and the thing that really really caught my attention was that not too long prior when I had been in grad school at UT I had been waiting tables at the Four Seasons um, downtown those of you that are unfamiliar the Four Seasons is a luxury hotel it's incredibly incredibly specific population can afford to stay there and you get used to recognizing the difference between the attire that that portion of the population can afford it's noticeable when someone's wearing a suit that's ten thousand dollars you know and I don't know if I'd go that far with this guy but he was wearing a nice suit like he looked like money. His shoes were nice. <laughs> yeah. And he, you know, he'd, he'd just come from a business trip. So this was the only time we'd see him dressed like this. But everyone in the class, it was like a record skipped a little bit. Everyone was like, what? <laughs> and he was. For all intents and purposes, completely comfortable with that reaction. Hello, so charismatic, very friendly, in a very grounded way, not in a cheesy, salesy way, in a sincere way. Immediately won everyone over. Very friendly. Asked lots of questions about people, was very interested in people. Um, the the following week, he brought in wine, and he said, my wife and I are in this wine club, and we have so much wine, let me just bring a bunch of bottles. Very giving very nice man. The third or fourth class in the middle of the, of the series of classes was acrylic painting. And I had invited an instructor that was an older painter in Austin. He has been painting and teaching painting for a long time. He was an excellent teacher with acrylic. Acrylic is probably the most stressful medium for first-time artist adults because color mixing and composition with a messy medium is stressful. It is also not intuitive. A lot of us stopped making art after we could draw and we never made art after that and so learning how to even hold a brush is overwhelming and i liked this teacher because he had this way of giving students just enough information to feel confident to start but without overloading them so they would feel paralyzed and every time i watched him teach people would feel they would just approach their paintings very playfully and i i just remember i loved that so much how refreshing it was to see these first time adults diving into this thing that could have been scary and wasn't. So the, so he does this demo and all the students go back to their easels. And I immediately notice that this man, his energy is not the way it normally is. He feels really stressed. And those of you that are parents or teachers or work in environments with groups of people where it's important that you are able to feel their energy, you know what I'm talking about. You can just instantly tell when something's going on with somebody. And as the class kind of ramped up about 30 minutes in, if I had to put words to what I was noticing, it would be that he was just, there was an ugly voice in that man's head that was Dancing around his brain. And I couldn't hear it, but I could feel it. And I immediately intuited that I, as a 30 something artist, probably wasn't going to be the right person to help him navigate that. I hovered around his easel so that if he ever wanted to ask for support, he could, eventually I did, you know, ping him. Hey, how are you doing? How are you feeling? What can I support you with? I don't think I said it that way because that would have felt weird, but you get the idea. And it was prickly. I'm fine. Fine. Leave me alone was what the energy said. And I am familiar with how that feels on my side too, by the way, that ha- that hasn't gone away for me either. And so I thought space is good. I, You, you know, working through this kind of energy happens and in an art class. I've seen it happen before with kids and adults, and sometimes they just need space to work through it themselves. And about 15 minutes later, he, he approaches me, which is interesting in hindsight, and he says, Rebecca, i got to go outside to take a phone call. And he leaves and never comes back. The class ends, his easel, his wine, everything is still there. The class helps me clean it up. We all figure, well, he must have had something happen on his phone call and he had to leave really quickly. In the back of my head, I'm thinking, mm, I don't know about that. So I waited and two weeks went by. He didn't show up for either of the classes. So before the final class of the series, I emailed him and... I made no mention of any of, of the painting class at all. I simply said, you know, we missed you. Everyone is excited to hopefully see you for the last class. But in case I don't see you, I just wanted to thank you for bringing the wine and for being such an awesome addition and whatever. And he did email me back the next day. And he said, hey, Rebecca, thank you. I... I realized the day of painting and he, and he like fessed up. I realized the day of painting. I'm just not an artist. I shouldn't have been there. And so I'm not going to be coming to the final class, but thank you. And y'all that just broke, broke my artsy heart. You know, I, I thought about replying to him and I think I did briefly and just said, you know, if you change your mind, please consider, but I totally understand. I thought about trying to say more. I thought about trying to say, you are an artist, you are supposed to be there, and I, I just got a big no. Like, it won't be received the way that you want, so just let it, you can let it go, and so I did. This is why this particular man's story left such an impression on me, because, and I I'm waiting. I waited until the end of the story to mention this, but while he was in the class, we all kind of find out found out about his work. And he was one of the lead developers on this huge highway expansion that was happening in East Austin. For those of you that live here, you know what I'm talking about. All of the um, sections of Airport Boulevard over there just became highway. It was a huge deal, and. It was like surprising, I remember not just to me, but to other the other students in the class, because typically that someone that ends up in that career like that doesn't moonlight in a composition class about art making in the evenings. It's, they typically don't go together. This is actually an interesting topic for me. Malcolm Gladwell, the author, talks a little bit about this concept when he did some research for one of his more recent books and it's called matching and it's this idea that we expect people to match in certain ways and when they don't it catches our attention sometimes in really positive ways and in other times really negative ways so an example of a positive mismatch is when you meet the mo- like the most like beefy muscular thick necked dude super tan blonde hair looks like a Ken doll right like you see someone like that and then you find out they're an astrophysicist right those things don't match in our minds and that's so fascinating right like when someone has traits like that and so to me this guy was was like that and for all intents and purposes y'all he was for all intents and purposes, he was winning at life. He had this amazingly charismatic personality. He won, he won over everyone in the class immediately. He presumably had a really fun marriage, just an assumption of mine because they had, um, he was very giving. He loved to share food and drink. He, um, presumably was making quite a bit of money (laughs) and traveling all over and doing really interesting work and and still if I had to guess on that day in painting class what happened is that whenever the last time he made art was something unhealed from that time was triggered and there the, was a catalyst for it, in the same way that this spiritual parenting class described about having children. Can my parent and artist friends relate to either of these descriptions and And they don't happen all the time. Sometimes you sit down with your child, sometimes you sit down with art making, and it's flawless, right? And then other times this ugly voice comes out and you feel just like the worst parent artist ever. What am I doing? Why am I here? And the thing that I would like to suggest is how can we shift collectively our experience around that thing? Because right now, one of the primary ways that most people react is to push it (laughs) i and they and they push it because it can feel a little bit like a kick to the ego maybe that's not the best phrase but it's the first one that i thought of and this is what i mean when i say that if if you're an artist or a parent you can relate to what i'm about to say you decide you're going to have a child. You decide you're going to take an art class for the first time in a while. You decide to sit down at your studio table one evening, whatever. And then you do it and all of this gross stuff comes up. And what is one of the first things we think when that happens? Oh, I made a big mistake. I shouldn't be making art. It's what, the, it's what that man said. I, I'm not an artist. What was I thinking? I'm sorry. I shouldn't be there. Have you thought about this? as a parent. I certainly have. And I was ready for it. I was 41 when Brayden was born. I had seen decades of my friends having babies before me. I knew all of the things, all the surprises that were coming, at least I thought. And I definitely knew more of them because of my age. But there were times that I couldn't avoid thinking, why did I decide to have a kid? What made me think I would be able to do this? And then other times... I'm the best parent ever. I totally, I totally love this. And all of us have different levels of those experiences on a spectrum. Some people may have more negatives. Some people may have more positives. Some people have a little bit of both, but our first thought tends to be when we have those negative ones is this is wrong. That something, this is a sign that something is wrong with me being an artist or being a parent uh, and then, when you think something is wrong, a lot of people's knee jerk reactions is to look away from it. And that's, it's actually fine to look away from it. It's just that then it doesn't get healed and it will just keep coming back when you sit down with your child or sit down with your art. And it makes the processes far less enjoyable. Because you're getting triggered all the time in this same way. I've learned that when you recognize these types of triggers as a catalyst for healing rather than a sign that something is wrong, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to do something about it. When I realized that my food stress with my son was connected to my food stress as a baby, I... I didn't necessarily need to run to a therapist to talk about it or even to, to write about it in a journal, although that could have been really lovely if it, if it resonates with, if it had resonated with me or if it would resonate with you. Just the knowledge that this thing was going to heal itself within me was, was powerful. And I've been able to move through so much of the feelings around this quote unquote problem in my experience of motherhood in a way that was more peaceful. Maybe not easier, but certainly it felt more productive, didn't it? I mean, wouldn't everyone feel more productive when they recognize that the triggers in them are catalysts for healing and feeling better later? (laughs) So... But that's not always how it goes, even with the best in, of intentions now, knowing what I know about the ways that being a parent and being an artist can expose me to areas in my past that are ready to be healed. Even, even knowing that now, I've, I still fall, fall into the spiral of that gross self-talk and I want to tell a story about when that happened for me because it doesn't make you immune the older you get, or the more masterful you get, or the wiser you get. It doesn't make you immune to healing things. The only difference is your awareness of when of what happens next. <laughs> the only difference is when all of this ugly energy bubbles up in you during you know, some hangout session with your child or a painting session in your studio, you can try to trace your steps backwards to see where's the root of this shit, (laughs) as opposed to panic. Oh gosh, I shouldn't be doing this. I have full-on walked out of an art class. And interestingly, it was from the same teacher, and it this is what has made me so so insistent that this type of dynamic is internal versus external this is an amazing teacher I was so excited to take a class with him he was doing a weekend workshop on painting large and The class description was bring in an idea that you have, and I will help you make it big. And I was like, Yes, first of all, I've been illustrating for a few years by this point in Austin. I had all of the coloring, Austin coloring books, the Texas coloring book. I had been doing some private coloring books for companies and things like this. I had all of these drawing concepts, but I thought if I can expand on one of these into a painting using my style, that would be so fun. I show up on Saturday. I'm ready to go. We dive in. I start, I have this idea. I'm ready to do it. I start and it's not going the way I want, but in the beginning, I'm used to this. I I have been making art a long time, I, my whole life. And so I was ready for that. I'm ready for Pushback from an artwork. I'm ready to not be the best out the gate. I know what it feels like to mess with something and mess with something until you get it the way that you want. The difference, of course, on this day is that usually I'm messing with a drawing and I'm very familiar with the tools and techniques of tweaking and drawing. I'm not familiar with the tools and techniques of painting. The last time I had taken a painting class or done any painting was in my undergrad and into my mid-twenties. And that time in my life had been a totally, I had a totally different relationship to art making at that time. I had been very much immersed in the the more academic college mentality of, does your art look classically beautiful? Is this thing going to sell? Is this thing going to make a statement? Does this thing say something that's interesting to the world? whatever and so not surprisingly <laughs> as I started painting those unhealed kind of uglier voices from that time in my young artist life started coming up in my head and I I kind of noticed them but I kind of didn't because I wasn't used to them I you know when I'm drawing they happen but they happen so much less that when they do um, you know I really have a better relationship with my drawing boogie voices (laughs) if you will when I was painting the voices were gnarly voices and they were very similar to this student of mine you shouldn't be here you have no you have no right to be in this painting class you're an illustrator a professional illustrator and you are by far the worst painter in here and y'all I objectively was I know that probably sounds a little dramatic, but objectively I was. Everyone in this class were seasoned painters and their paintings were amazing. And it and and of course, on top of this, I'm a teacher at the school. They all know that I'm a teacher, and I have this very rookie painting. And you know, the teacher is he's so amazing. He's helping me, he's showing me some things that could help with. Um, different parts of the composition that I was struggling with and it, they were beautiful and he was so helpful and I, le- <laughs> I left all my stuff um, at the end of the class um, and then we were going to come back the following day to finish them and I didn't come back and I remember <laughs> later emailing the teacher right? we were colleagues you know I emailed him and I said hey something came up it was a total white lie um I didn't want him to think it was about him because it was a hundred percent about me and I could tell in his reply that he had been like what <laughs> why should not she why didn't she come back and it was a really important experience Because it was a chance for me to see what it felt like on the other side. And it was a chance for me to see in the framework of making art, what it's like to have things come up for healing in a really aggressive way and to have to feel those voices of, I shouldn't be here. I'm not good. As a seasoned artist, having those things, how fascinating, right? this has this is an idea i'm continuing to unpack but how beautiful is it to flip the narrative in the ways that are we possibly can around our own pra- practices with our children and with our art making with our art babies <laughs> so that when we get triggered we can shut down the story that something is wrong with us that this is how we're wired this is how humans and art and babies are wired they're wired to help one another that when we have children one of their primary functions is to help us see the things that we need to heal that were so buried before. It's a catalyst. It brings it to the surface in a way that we wouldn't have been able to do before they arrived. And art is the same way. I feel like this is an important topic to do an episode about for many reasons, but one of them that I want to spend a moment on here is the way that we glamorize both of these processes and the way that that glamorization <laughs> then really close lines us later so speaking from an art class perspective when people sign up for an art class They don't sign up for healing. (laughs) Like, that's not what they expect to have happen. They don't expect to have childhood traumas come to the surface. That's not what they're in for. They're in for a nice, fun time making some beautiful shit that they can put on their wall at home or give to someone or whatever. And so, when they come in and inevitably these voices pop up, a lot, I've seen this happen to a lot of students and it's happened to myself too. You feel angry, and I've seen people, myself included, turn that anger inwards. I shouldn't be here. I'm not any good. Or they turn it outwards. This teacher sucks. <laughs> Why? If she was better, if he was better, I would. I wouldn't be so miserable right now. And sometimes, y'all, they legitimately do suck. So it's not to say that all teachers are amazing, but a lot of the time, it's hard to own our own part of the experience when we don't even realize what's going on and when you understand that if you sit down to make something artistic whatever it is if you understand that there is a chance that that day something in you is going to come up for healing when it happens it's easier to know how to proceed same with being a parent a (laughs) hundred percent one way that this happens in a very practical physiological sense is that when women get pregnant and have a child, it is 99.9% of the time, any health conditions that were under the surface with that woman will come to the surface postpartum. And when I was talking to the functional medicine practitioner that I see for some of my um, health healing things. She told me that in Chinese medicine, which is an ancient art form going back, you know, tens of thousands of years, that they believe that a woman needs 3 to 5 full years to return her body to its state pre-pregnancy. Like that's how exhausting being pregnant and having a baby is on the on the female body. And so knowing that it makes sense then that anything that was under the surface, a little bit of inflammation here, a hormone imbalance there explodes to the surface and it catches women off guard. What? The fuck? <laughs> this wasn't what I signed up for. What in the world? But it's a very like physiological example of how children bring things to the surface for healing. And I can feel like a curse at the time but it's not. It's actually more of a curse festering in the dark in your body. Having it spring forward and having the symptoms come forward can feel stressful initially because you're having to deal with the symptoms and the pain and the blowback of all of that. But then you can move forward to remedy it. And I love that. I love thinking about my job as a mother and an artist from this standpoint because it makes the gross stuff less meaningless isn't that what makes the pain of creation and parenthood more distressing is the sense that it doesn't have any meaning or any bigger purpose it just crap happens I gotta suffer I gotta just get through it somehow and maybe for some people that idea is more comforting and if that is the case great (laughs) For a lot of people, I suspect, it feels profoundly helpful to have something to hold on to. Oh, I get it. This is bringing this thing in front of my conscious mind and I get to do something with it now. You know? It's interesting this particular idea and i want to sort of wrap up with this it's interesting this particular idea also in a sort of, in a sort of larger narrative around art and parenthood and healing because right now i would say and i suspect many of you can relate to this i would say that Parenting and art therapy and these types of modalities, you know, being talked about more professionally, were sort of relegated to a more capitalist model. So, specifically with art therapy, um, art therapy is a field that I considered pretty seriously doing my graduate work in. And the reason that I decided not to. was not for any of the components of the program at all. It was because I couldn't wrap my head around the prestigiousness and the fracturing of art therapy from everyday life. In the field of art therapy, there's this desperate desire to be taken seriously as a modality. And I Know a few art therapists, they take their work incredibly seriously and they do powerful transformative work with patients, no doubt. And they get pissed if you, as a not trained art therapist, use the phrase art therapy in your work because it's a soiling of what they do to imply that art and healing can exist outside of a professional model. I don't think they're saying that art and healing should never exist outside of a professional model. They just don't like it when you mix the two up. And so I have very intentionally never used the word art therapy in my, the words art therapy in my practice because of, because of that. Art can be medicine completely removed from any sort of formal professional model. It can happen in your kitchen with a piece of paper one morning, you know, same with your children that there's ideas around. If I'm going to work through something, I should do it with a therapist or I should do it in this professional way. And there's a hundred percent space and time for that, that If that resonates, you should do it. I've done it um, for huge chunks of my life. Seeing a professional is such a good idea. And it also happens in the everyday moments with your children and with your work. That things come up for healing. And you can work with them in the moment. Just by seeing it is most of the job done. Most of the job done. I think... A lot of people, myself included, can feel initially a little overwhelmed by this idea. Great, great, I I have something coming up for healing, now what do I do? Maybe nothing at all, probably nothing at all. It's probably going to work itself out. The thing that was really keeping it um, like sort of messing around under the surface is that you didn't know was there. Just you seeing it now is most of the work done. How refreshing is that? Can you let it go and just watch it fade away? I am fascinated by this idea. And I'm wondering if you are too. What ways do art babies catalyze things, bring things up for us? And when you know that this is what's happening, oh my gosh, your whole life turns into a metamorphosis. Your whole life. You will change. I've changed more this past year. I have cleared old thought patterns and habits and beliefs more this past year than I have in my whole life. And I would say that second to that (laughs) is the past six years as a solo entrepreneur and an artist. And third to that was being an art teacher for kindergarten through fourth graders. That when you're in engagement with young people and art making, you are constantly having things triggered to the surface. This is why I think artists, parents, and teachers are so strong, so strong, in ways that they don't even necessarily recognize because every time they do their work, (laughs) they are being asked to face stuff that's been unhealed in them, possibly for a really long time and doing something with it. There are people who spend their entire lives doing the opposite of that. Can you think of some? Can you think of people who are the same now as they were 30 years ago, talking about the same stories, complaining about the same things. You know? Yeah. Art babies as catalysts is transformative because you will never be stuck again when you recognize the way that these catalysts are here to help you. And even, even still, I, I know going forward, even after recording this episode, I know going forward, my child is going to do something tomorrow or as early as tonight when we pick him up from his grandparents. And I'm going to think, oh, this is so gross. I'm such a terrible parent. It's, it's a knee jerk reaction, but later when I'm sitting alone in the quiet, I can, go backwards through that intentionally and create a different story around it. And then the next time that that exact same thing happens, I have an opportunity to... That voice is like dead. That gross voice that tells me I'm a bad parent in this particular way has been worked through now. I would not want to suggest it's like that simple. And also think that sometimes especially with people talking about topics like this in more holistic modalities more spiritual modalities more artistic modalities they can have a tendency to make things feel like they're very difficult so that you want to come back for their help (laughs) and there's Nothing wrong with that. I probably do that a little bit too or a lot, I'm not sure. But it's it's probably a little bit of a silly anecdote to say this, but it's very simple. Noticing these triggers going forward. It's just it's just not a walk in the park. <laughs> simple doesn't always equate to easy. And even if it's not easy, it can still be light years less traumatic. And that's one of the things I love about this idea. Your art babies are here to bring things out of you that are holding you back. Artists understand this idea in ways that I think maybe we don't even necessarily recognize. One one of the examples that comes to my mind is the movie Soul, Pixar Dreamscape, with Jamie Foxx as the main character. And I was watching a small documentary about how they animated this film. If you haven't seen it, oh, maybe it was Disney too. I think it's on Disney Plus, right, y'all? I don't know. I don't know. Do these things matter? Anyway. I was listening to a short documentary about the animators and how challenging it was to animate the other side, right? Because the main character dies in the very beginning of the movie and there's no basis for comparison that any of us have. Like we have some, some first person accounts of people saying they were going to a big white light and felt lots of peace. But other than that, we don't know. We don't know. And specifically one of the harder things for them to illustrate were the teachers and they ended up making them look how cool like Pablo Picasso abstractions and I thought it was so fascinating that they chose an artist's representation to draw from but even more fascinating than that animated illustration was the one of the lost souls and I guess this is a little bit of a spoiler alert, so sorry if any of you haven't watched this movie, but um, it definitely doesn't ruin the storyline. <laughs> the Lost Souls in this particular movie are almost illustrated like doughboys. The, the actual soul is in the middle And then all around them is swirling all of this stuff that they've picked up over the course of their life that's sticking to them. And when they're inside of this sort of doughboy looking thing, it's all of the voices, all of the negative things. And they can't see or hear clearly because they're constantly surrounded by this stuff. This Isn't this... For me, I thought, what an amazing illustration of what it's like. The stuff that's so ugly becomes invisible when that's all you hear and you're inside of it. And <laughs> they, there's a character in the movie who pierces the stuff and shatters it. And as soon as it's, it's gone... The soul is free. And in so far, it's, it's a simplistic idea. And it, to me, that's what babies and art are doing for us. They're a puncture in the stuff that is ready to go. And they bring our awareness to it because they interrupt it. And... When we're open to the interruption, it's such a gift. When we're not, it feels like a big fucking inconvenience. Don't you agree? You take an art class, you show up, and all of your childhood shit comes up? That's not ideal. (laughs) You know? You decide to have a baby, all your childhood shit comes up? That is not ideal. And so a lot of folks will push it and push it and push it. And... What if we just look at it and see how that changes? We don't have to go out and write 30 journal pages about our trauma. We don't have to do that. We just look at it. Oh, oh, here you are. Here you are. Two-month-old Becca was super lactose intolerant and her two-month-old son is triggering all of that right now. Great. (laughs) that was it. I didn't do, I didn't have the energy to do anything else. I was still getting like, you know, chunks of two to three hours of sleep at a time, you know, I didn't have time to go and like find a therapist and journal about that crap. It just worked itself out because I noticed it. The noticing is what does it. How can your art babies do this for you? How have they been doing it for you this whole time? And how can you recognize it now? Yeah. Yeah. I love y'all. Tell me what this brings up for you. I'm so curious if it does anything at all. Maybe nothing at all. Um, Until next time, take care of yourselves. Make some beautiful things. Work with your beautiful babies. And pay attention to those gifts coming, coming your way.